Is deconstruction wrong? That word deconstruction has been so popularized right now in our culture, especially amongst the Christian church. And I want to take a few moments and really dive into this because I think this is a very important topic. I think we need to discuss this, how it impacts the church, our culture, how it impacts our growth in Christ. So stay tuned. If you haven't already, subscribe, like this content, and share it because we're going to dive in to this topic today. So right off the bat, I'll say that almost everyone deconstructs. And um, you're probably wondering, well, what does that mean? And uh, well, that, that's why you tuned in, right? So I, I did hear this uh, podcast from uh, Manny Arango, just a clip of it. Manny Arango is a great theologian, respect him highly, but he and his co-podcast uh, person um, did this particular segment on deconstruction. And uh, so um, I'm going to watch it real quick and uh, you're going to get my reaction and then we'll we'll talk about it. You had to deconstruct. I, I had to deconstruct. Yeah. Which is why I'm so gracious when people are going through that. Yeah. I encourage it. Here's the deal. Do it. Let's let's throw back to episode one. Sure. Everyone deconstructs. Everybody. Everybody Whether got you, culture. Everybody got theology. And, and everybody every, deconstructs. Everyone deconstructs. By design or, or by, by default. default. Here's, here's my issue. Okay. The issue is not deconstruction. The issue is detachment. Sure. I'm fine with people deconstructing as long as they don't detach themselves from the church. All right. So, um, you know, th there's, I, I, I like what he said about you either deconstruct one of two ways, right? By uh, default or design. Like, okay. I get that. But then his co-host said that he encourages everybody to deconstruct. Now we really got to be careful with terms. We really got to be careful with what that means. Because on the outside, someone looking in, that word definitely has a stereotypical definition to it that's not so welcoming, especially to the Christian community. Um, but from maybe a bird's eye view, if you will, like we all deconstruct in the sense that we try to break things down, which I know that's what they're trying to get at. They're not using the terminology as being demolished, which most people use the term deconstruction as demolishing. Okay. They're trying to use it as like a defining or breaking down. Okay. Which we're all supposed to break down scripture. Okay. For sure. I encourage everybody to break down scripture and get to the root of it, which we'll talk about in just a few moments. But to deconstruct it, I think is a very poor choice of wording here because it attaches itself to other things and is defined a certain way by a certain person, which we're going to dive deep into that right now. So let's really talk about this thing called deconstruction. And I'm just going to do a brief history, not even extensive. Okay. Cause you guys can find the extensive history on it. All right. So th this is what deconstruction is. Deconstruction is the opposition in Western philosophy through close examination of language and logic that began in the 1960s. Uh, Jacques Derrida was a French philosopher that came up with this idea that furthermore made the statement that there is no absolute truth. Okay. So a couple things that I just, I want to express because I do have other running definitions that I got from the Stanford encyclopedia and other resources, um, is that there's two things. It's that it is an opposition in the Western philosophical culture that has to do with language specifically. 
and logic, and that language and logic are in opposition of text and writing, which I have a, a detailed definition here in just a few moments, okay? And that also the idea that there is no absolute truth, that one cannot determine the absolute truth of of the world. And, and I think we get that, right? Like what we believe is that there's an absolute truth found in the word of God and who God is and who Jesus is. This is a deconstruction of that. This is a, almost a demolition of that, which some would argue is a breaking down of, but just stay with me. And we're, we're going to talk about this a little bit more. Okay. So in, in my opinion here, as I'm making this video, deconstruction is another example of woke culture. Okay. It's another example, right? So it is the awareness, right? Or the reality into some of what is and always has been. And everybody was asleep on it. Like everyone sleep on it. No one understands. Now I'm woke. And I understand this is the real meaning of things. And in reality, it's a deconstruction of truth that has no place in the contents of what is actually happening, like the overall narrative of history, the overall narrative of, of a specific philosophical thought or system, okay? So it is another example of woke culture or my truth, okay? This is really dangerous that deconstructionists uh, really are out to seek their truth, okay? So I'm all for if someone deconstructs and breaks down, for say, scripture and meaning so that they can have a better understanding of it, Okay, but not to the point where they're trying to validate their truth and their system to be able to project on other people that has no correlation with the original text. All right. So uh, there's a scripture or a few scriptures that I want to read here that I think are a prime example of deconstruction. Okay. Of people actually doing this in biblical times. So second Timothy chapter two, verse 14 through 18. This is what it says. It says, remind them, this is Paul talking to a young Timothy, okay? Remind them of these things. And I got to interrupt, interrupt myself again. I got to rem remind you, Timothy is a young leader, okay? Young leader that is overseeing multiple churches. And Paul is trying to help this young leader with maybe young congregations, right? Or congregants, if you will, or other members of the church in terms of um, what has been spoken of by Paul, by the apostles, by Jesus, Okay, so in verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. It's very important, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Okay. So it doesn't say rightly handling words or language, but the words of truth. Okay. So the word of truth, which is scripture. Okay. Verse 16 says, but avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius, maybe I'm pronouncing that wrong, and Philetus. And verse 18 says, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. So this is a prime example of these two individuals, which I'm not going to repeat their names over and over because I'm sure I'm butchering it. 
okay, who are taking and who are taking um, the concept of resurrection and saying that it has already happened, which we understand that the resurrection of the saints has not happened yet, and it'll happen when Christ does come and return. Okay, but this is what is being broadcasted here because this is their truth and what they have uncovered and they have deconstructed what Paul's teaching was, what Jesus' teaching was, what Peter's teaching was, and they are coming with their own solution, uh, an own reasoning of what this is to be interpreted as, and this is not true. Okay, so a- another example of uh, the unhealthy side of deconstruction is that if I go outside and I say the sky is blue, and I give you all the scientific reasons why the sky is blue, the outcome is that the the sky is blue. Whatever mathematical equations or whatever I may use to determine that, the end result is that the sky is blue deconstruction, the unhealthy side of deconstruction is that I'm going to break down why the sky is blue. Is it really blue? Cause it doesn't look blue to me. And my equation that I come up with is going to point to a different solution that the sky is actually green and here's why it's green. And this is why you need to understand and accept that it's green. Okay. And it's because of their language and logic and thought process, not because of what is written down already, but because of their language and process that allows them to project that truth as being their reality, which is not correct at all. Okay. Here's a furthermore definition, okay, of how people deconstruct. All right. So, uh, and this is from the Stanford Encyclopedia. All right. So, to deconstruct, to deconstruct an opposition is to explore the tensions and contradictions between the hierarchy assumed and sometimes explicitly asserted in the text and other aspects of the text's meaning especially those that are indirect or implicit or that rely on figurative or performative uses of language. Through this analysis, the opposition is shown to be a product or construction of the text rather than something given independently of it. Okay, so what what is what does that mean? That means that there is a contradiction right now in deconstructionists that would say that what is written is not true and we can't really understand or believe the meaning of the text because my words have become more valid. Okay. My language and thought process have become more valid than what's written on paper. All right. Now, because this is really in our Western philosophical culture, I need to just back up a little bit. All right. This is this doesn't just have to do with the Bible. It doesn't just have to do with Christianity. This is political. This is philosophical. It's ideological. This is, you know, the postmodern reality that we're living in right now, that there is no ultimate absolute truth. This is not a new concept. Okay. This is just a recycling concept that began in the sixties. And I would even argue began even earlier. We just put a name to it later of what it meant. Okay. But this has been happening over and over and over. Okay. I want to even interrupt myself again, because I need to give you this secondary definition here because uh, I I think it's going to explain it way better than I can in this moment. All right, so for Derrida, which Jacques Derrida, right, was the, the founder of this particular concept of deconstruction, okay, the French philosopher, he said the most telling and pervasive opposition is the one that treats writing as secondary to a derivative of speech. That's what I've been talking about, okay? It's that writing is secondary. The text is secondary. Books and historical documents are secondary 
to a derivative of speech. Let me continue. According to this opposition, speech is a more authentic form of language because in speech, the ideas and intentions of the speaker are immediately present. Spoken words in this idealized picture directly express what the speaker has in mind, whereas in writing, there are more remote or absent from the speaker or author and thus more liable to misunderstanding. So in case you didn't know what that meant, it meant that in the moment, real time, I can tell you and break down and define what I mean and what I'm saying. Whereas if I write it down somewhere, it's subjected to be misunderstood by people, which to a degree I understand. Okay. I think people can understand that if I write something down and I need more context behind it, right? I can understand where that can be misleading or misunderstanding. However, okay, we have the ultimate truth in the word of God that is written down. Okay. It's written down. Now watch this. Okay. As second Timothy does say that we need to rightly divide the word of truth to study it and to scrutinize it so we can understand. It is our job as Christians to do that. It, it is not that at times we read the Bible and we don't go deeper. We must go deeper. Watch this. Scripture commands each person to, to scrutinize his or her faith. This includes fact-checking according to Acts 17, 11, thoughtful preparation, 1 Peter 3, 15, reasonable skepticism, 1 John 4, 1, cooperation with others, Proverbs 27, 17, multiple perspectives, Proverbs 15, 22, and an appreciation for all God has shown in his creation, Romans 1, 18 through 20, and Psalms 19, 1. Furthermore, watch this. Scripture often depicts people crying out with doubtful complaints and frustrations. Psalm 73, 2 through 3 and Habakkuk 1, 2 through 4. Those who examine what they believe and why they believe it, assessing those views for truth are following the biblical mandate according to 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Yet this is not what the modern deconstruction movement does. See, it, it doesn't put a press that we need to study and scrutinize and understand what we believe and why we believe it. No, no. It is what, how do you interpret it? How, how do, how do you understand it? Okay. And then from that is when you can start building a case and a definition for what the Bible or what philosophy or what political agenda is trying to say. Now watch this. I've heard this statement before going to progressivism just a moment because they kind of are hand in hand, right? The woke culture is the progressivism, is the deconstructionists working together to produce a truth and reality that is subjective, not objective, okay? And some would argue, well, you're trying to do that with scripture, right? That this is your point of view, it's not mine. There has to be ultimate truth to understand that there is common ground to build a foundation of principles upon. There has to be absolute truth to build morality. There has to be ultimate truth to build spiritual formation. There has to be. But the statement has been made that Jesus was progressive. Jesus was progressive with the Pharisees. Okay. And that Martin Luther was progressive with the Catholic church right? So when Jesus came, he was progressive with the teachings of the Pharisees and what they were thinking. And he had to deconstruct it. So that way 
he could bring a new, I guess, truth to the table, but that's not true. Same with Martin Luther. He had to be progressive and deconstruct it because the Catholic church was saying that, no, you cannot be saved by faith alone through grace. You cannot be. It's through the Catholic church and this is how, and you have to do certain rituals and, and prayers and go through certain catechisms and things of that nature. This is not true. Okay. Here's the reality of what's going on here. The Pharisees and the Catholic church at that time during the Protestant Reformation had had additional laws and catechisms on top of the original law. Here's how. The Pharisees had this thing called Mishnah and Midrash. Mishnah and Midrash were the oral and the written commentary laws that were additional to the Torah additional. You can see that in history. You can even see Jesus speaking of that when they talk about honoring your father and your mother, when they have added things to the law as to why they should not be able to honor their mother and their father. However, Taurus has something different. So it wasn't that Jesus was trying to be progressive and deconstruct. Jesus was trying to refer everyone back to the original fundamental foundational principle of scripture the true essence and meaning of it. The Pharisees were the ones that were being progressive and deconstructive, as well as the Catholic church had catechisms and different laws that were in addition to biblical scriptures when you had to pay for penance and, and talk to the father to ask your sins to be forgiven. This is nowhere to be found in scripture. And it was an additional be additional thing because it was instituted by the Catholic church to presume control. Okay. They didn't want to teach people how to read uh, Greek right? They are German, excuse me, German to be able to uh, read it in their own language because they felt they had the authority in order to relay it and that everybody else was insignificant because they were going to misinterpret the word of God. So Martin Luther comes in and says, that is not what scripture says. Okay. So he posts the thesis on the wall and he says, by grace alone. Okay. By faith alone, sole fide, right? By faith alone alone by grace is that we are saved and it got him excommunicated. The church couldn't handle it, but it wasn't because Martin Luther was being progressive. He was bringing everyone back to scripture. We must refer to scripture in determining the truth of what is said and not what we feel. Nathan Finocchio said this, um, he said, people um, that are advocates of deconstruction, the reason why we have gotten there is because when we look at scripture, we ask, what does this mean to you? What does the scripture mean to you? Instead of saying, what is Paul trying to say? This is a big difference. It's a big difference from what does this mean to you? Then what is it actually trying to say? Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with, okay, trying to figure out like, what does it mean to me in this moment, but then study to show yourself approved to understand what is it really trying to say and how can we grow in it and learn from it, right? There is a book um, by R.C. Sprawl. It's right here, okay? It's called Scripture Alone, Scripture Alone. And this particular book I read years ago, and it's about the authority of Scripture. And there's a quote in there that, uh, that I want to read to you. It's by this guy, Paul Atheist, okay, or Paul Atheist however you pronounce that, okay? It was a scholar that uh, really took Martin Luther's writings and then summed it up in this particular paragraph on the authority of scripture. This is what he says. It says, we must trust unconditionally only in the word of God and not in the teaching of the fathers. For the teachers of the church can err, err meaning can make a mistake, okay? And have erred, have made mistakes. Scripture never 
errors, never makes a mistake. Therefore, it Therefore, it only has unconditional authority. The authority of the theologians of the church is relative and conditional. Watch this. The authority of the theologians is relative and conditional. Without the authority of the words of scripture, no one can establish hard and fast statements in the church. That, that, that means for me today, as a theologian, as a person that studies scripture, my thought is conditional and relative in terms of the unconditional, not the book, but the Bible, unconditional truth of the word of God. And it is my job to study it for the truth of what it says so I can apply it to my life. And guess what? It's hard sometimes. It offends me sometimes. Um, it, 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 it messes me up sometimes. And, and this is what second Timothy three sixteen says though. Second Timothy three sixteen says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. If you don't feel today that the Bible is doing any of that, that it's not profitable for teaching, not for reproof or for or correction and for training, I don't know how you're reading the Bible. If, if, if it never rubs you the wrong way, if it never challenges you uh, or any of that stuff, I would push back that you are not reading it in such a manner that would challenge your faith in order for you to grow, okay? Now, what, what am I saying though with, with deconstructionism, okay? So it's not that we need to know all the answers, all right? We, we don't, okay? We need to, as a Christian community, need to be okay at times with telling people we don't know. We got to be okay with that, right? Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, the Lord, our God has secrets known to no one has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them, but we are our children and accountable. Oh, excuse me. But we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may be obedient in all terms of these instructions. Okay. So there are some secrets. There are some things that we're just not going to know. And, and they belong to God and they are uh, the secrets that belong to him. Okay. I'm just checking, I'm checking my time. Uh, the, the other aspect is real quick. And this is, this is off, maybe not off topic, but you know, I've even been hearing things lately on the nature of Jesus, like that we can define Jesus, how we want to define him. And even now, even in the transgender community, they're saying that Jesus was transgender and he had transgenderism attributes. And I'm going, what are we talking about here? That is the deconstructionism that I'm talking about. Where did we get this? How is this? Where is this found in scripture? But again, it's not by the written word. It's by speech and language that determines the truth and the viability of sources. And that is not accurate. There must be absolute truth. Okay. Because this is getting out of hand. It's not just scripture. It's everything else now that anybody can live a truthful lifestyle according to their own feelings. And no, to me, that's not, that's not true freedom, true freedom, which many people have said is discipline. Discipline is true freedom, understanding not to give into those urges and combating those feelings of temptation and combating those things of sin. And that is discipline. That is true freedom. When we understand that we belong to Christ Jesus. And if you are, are a Christ follower today and you're watching this and you're wrestling with deconstructionism and progressivism, I, I would implore of you. 
I want to have a conversation. I want to hear your thoughts and comments. Like I, I just want to see what you're thinking, how you're thinking it, and what does that look like? Because at the end of the day, if we do not have absolute truth, we don't have truth at all. We don't have truth at all. We cannot play this game of your truth is valid my, just so everybody can feel good about themselves. That is not why Christ died. Christ did not die that you and I can feel good about ourselves and live in our own truth and live in our own filth and shame. He didn't do that. He came to set us free. And as we talked about in the last episode, the kingdom of God has a king. His name is Jesus and that king requires allegiance to that kingdom. And he's laid out guidelines and principles and rules that we must follow to be a part of that kingdom. And today, I would hope that every person watching this would be open to this idea of what I presented today, that there is absolute truth. Okay, there, there is the reliability of the word of God and it is unconditional and that we are not living our own truth and we must rightly divide the word to be able to grow. And it is not because of our own language and our own speech, but it's because the written word is written on a book that has been around for centuries and has not been debunked and has not gone away and it will stand the test of time. The Bible says that words will pass away right? Like other things will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Hey, I hope this encourages you today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Again, subscribe, like, and share this, and I'll see you on the next one.